counsel. Is this yours? Again, if you'd like to turn your Bibles to Romans 12. Last week we looked at basically the key to living the Christian life is being a living sacrifice. Again, the key to a productive, satisfying Christian life is not getting more of God, but giving all to God. Think about that. It's not getting more. We're complete in Christ. It's giving more to Him. It's allowing Him to use us. It's willing to sacrifice to Him. Not to gain more, but because we are still in this fleshly body and and the old man, the sin principle, still uh, has its way in our lives, uh, hopefully just periodically. But the point is we have to give to Him. And we looked at our relationship with Him, primarily in this whole chapter 12, is found in verse 1, to be a living sacrifice. Again, a living sacrifice that is wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable. It's logikos. It's logical. It makes sense. That's what, doesn't it make sense that you're a living sacrifice? I mean, you might say, well, why, do, why is that reasonable? Well, again... It's reasonable to be a living sacrifice because of all that God has already done in us. Last week we looked at a number of blessings. Everything from forgiveness to adoption to being indwelt by the Holy Spirit to being transformed by the Holy Spirit and all the key you know, areas of reconciliation and propitiation, justification and everything that God has done for us. Because Christ has done so much for us Dying as a sacrifice for us, it makes sense. It's logical that we would live for him. That's, that's the whole point of the word therefore in verse 1. It makes sense because of everything that has happened to us. But another reason it is reasonable to be a living sacrifice is because of all that God continues to do in you. Everything that he is doing to you right now in the present Again, salvation is not just a past event. It is a present experience. He is continuing to work in us and through us as we walk by the Spirit, as we are filled with His Word, as we submit to His will. Again, He is developing in us new values, new motives, new ways of thinking, new ways of acting. Isn't that a great praise? That you're a work in progress. You're a work in progress. You are a work. Or you're a piece of work. (laughs) But you are. You're a work in progress. That is very exciting to me. That is not depressing. For some people, as I've dealt with people over the years, it seems like that's almost a depressing thought. Oh, the Lord wants me to change again. Well, yeah. Do you want to stay in your state? that you are right now. By the way, the Lord does want to work in you. And sometimes other people do not label us. We label ourselves. We label ourselves. We get into patterns of thinking, and it kind of goes like this, that, well, yeah, there's a lot of things the Lord wants to change in my life that I might be able to change. But this one or two things, no, 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 I, I don't see myself ever changing because of my family, because of my environment, because of my... Uh, my um, Genetics, whatever. I, no, I never change in that. Do you see what you've just done? Labeled yourself. 
The Lord wants to change you. Again, some things in your life, the Lord, you know, maybe has already changed, or but He wants to continually change you. So He's continuing to work, and because of that, it makes sense that we are a living sacrifice. Let me give you a third reason. It's found in verse 2. It's reasonable because such service, such being a living sacrifice, is God's will for us. But notice what else it says. That you may prove, verse 2, the last part of verse 2, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, it makes sense to be a living sacrifice because it is good. And by the way, I'm saying with a capital G, good. It is good. Every good gift and every perfect gift, James says in chapter 1, is from above. Comes down from the Father of lights. And there's no changing with Him. In other words, there's a consistency from God the Father that He gives good gifts to His children. And when He tells you and commands you to be a living sacrifice, that's good. Do you believe it is good though? Now think about this. A living sacrifice. The sacrifice was an animal in the Old Testament that, that was killed and died and it stayed there. Now, he's, he's not saying that we die in that sense, but we die to sin and live to God. In that sense, we are. But do you believe it's good? Is it good to walk with God? Is it good to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind? Is it really good? Now, wait. When you get into his word and he guides you through it, is that good? Have you? It's last week. Is it good when you are walking with the Spirit of God and you sense his peace and his joy and his smile on your soul, as it were? Is that good? Yes, it's good. And it's acceptable or pleasing. James Boyce said, you know, really the will of God is not hard and difficult and irrational. Now again, at times it's hard, but what I'm getting at is the will of God itself is acceptable. By the way, it becomes acceptable as you submit to it. In other words, you... It's just like the person, we often talk about missionaries, usually missionaries that are dead and gone. And, we, and in fact, I'm going to bring up a couple today. And, and we have a tendency to think, well, the only person that really serving God is a missionary. And, you know, if, if I submit myself to the, being a missionary, then I have to go to some foreign country that I hate and have to marry some woman I don't have any desire for. And I, that's just, you know, God wants... Wait a second. Do we, see, sometimes we think, wait, every good gift is from God. It is good. It is pleasing or acceptable. And it is perfect because God's way is perfect. In fact, God's way is never to be made better. <laughs> so we should do it with all our heart. When he asks us to be, and by the way, I say ask because it is in the present, it, but, but it's like Paul saying, listen, this is what, see, it's, yes, it is a command in one sense, but it's Paul begging. Why? Because it's just like with your kids. Isn't it so much better when you, they just, you know, or they know what you want them to do and they do it out of a heart of love versus this? Well, if you don't do it, you're not going to use the car. Yeah, you don't clean your room? No dinner tonight. Well, yeah, they might clean their room, but, you know. Now, God wants you to be willing to submit yourself as a living sacrifice because your love for him. Let me give you a couple more reasons why it's reasonable 
to be a living sacrifice because God is worth our very best effort. If you go to Revelation chapter 4, this is the four and 20 elders, the 24 elders. It says in verse 10, fall down before him. The elders fall down before him who sits on the throne. That's Christ. And they worship him. And this is what they say. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Everything is should go to you. You just uh, travel over to chapter 5, verse 9. And they sang, this is the living creatures and the 24 elders, they sang a new song to the Lamb, to Christ. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. You were slain and have redeemed us to God by His blood, by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God. There again, we're, we're uh, living priests. And we shall reign on earth, on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And they say it again, uh, verse 13, Blessing and honor and glory and power to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. What are they doing? All praise, all honor to you. Why? Because they're worshiping. Well, when you're worshiping someone, you're saying that you are your king. You're, you're, you're better than me. <laughs> All I'm trying to say is this, that if we're going to serve Christ, it's the testimony found in Revelation, not only of the elders and the living creatures and the angels and the multitude. Give them your best. Isn't that right? Shouldn't we give God our best? Question, do you give them your best? Or do you say that Jesus is worth all honor and then go out and fail to live for Him? Or even in your simplest decisions of your daily life, you do not put Him first. See, we say we're talking about a living sacrifice, and the question today on the table is, are we a living sacrifice? Do we actually sacrifice to the Lord? Now, He gave the ultimate sacrifice, and we're going to remember His death burial and resurrection and all that he's done for you as a believer in Jesus Christ. But he has called us to be a living sacrifice, to sacrifice for him. By the way, if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then again, the Bible is very clear that the wrath of God abides in you, on you. And that if you were to die right now, you would go to hell. This table in observing um, what Christ did in a symbolic way does not pass grace onto you. It doesn't give you grace. This is merely a picture of what Christ has done for us, right? But again, the question is, have you received Christ? Have your sins been placed on Christ at the cross by believing in Him? Have you received Him as your Lord and Savior? If you have, doesn't it make logical sense that he gave his all for us that we would give our very best to him? And the last reason it is reasonable is because only spiritual things will last. (laughs) I mean, it really does make sense from an eternal standpoint, from a long point of view standpoint, that we would be a living sacrifice to Christ because only the spiritual things will last. 
Everything else will pass away. Jesus said in Matthew 25, heaven and earth will pass away. That is such a reassuring thing. Now, for some, that's fearful, but isn't that a great thought? All your accolades and all your accomplishments from this world's point of view will be lost. Does that depress you or does that excite you? Because you may be saying this, well, that depresses me, that's what I'm living for. But the other side is this, oh, that excites me because it isn't about today. It's not just about the now. It's not what people think of me. It's really what Christ thinks of me. It frees us to really believe that, that the world is passing away. Jesus goes on and says, but my words will by no means pass away. First John says the world is passing away. It's just corrupting and corrupting. In fact, it's more and more like that. Groaning pains, Romans says. And the lusts of it are passing away because they can't satisfy. But he who does the will of, the, uh, of God lives forever. Yeah, we need to chew on the fact that the world is passing away. It doesn't mean that we live sloppily in this world and with a, because it's about people. But again, remember, the world is passing away. The world is passing away. You will be forgotten ultimately, except by, from God's perspective. You won't be forgotten by him. So it frees us up to say, okay, let me live for the priorities that God has because what I see today will not be 100 years from now. Revelation 14, and this is talking about the martyrs. Verse 13 says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Blessed are the dead. They will rest from their labor, for their deeds will follow them. Why are the dead in the Lord to be blessed? Why? Because the things they did on this earth will follow them. Why? Because they're in Christ, and what they did was for Christ. That's the whole idea. So live for Christ. That's why Jim Elliot as a young missionary said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's not a fool who does that. To give what you can't keep. Why? You can't grasp these things. But you give them to the Lord and you can't lose them. So he gave his life to God and what he judged to be the most reasonable service and gained an inheritance forever. Yeah, we want to live for the Lord. We want to be a living sacrifice to Him because it makes the most sense. Now, again, there are hard choices. I know it is a difficult choice. There are sacrifices, again, living sacrifices to be made, but it makes sense. It really does. It makes absolute sense. Well, let's move on to verse 2. Because, again, as we have set it up, all right, it's, it's reasonable. Now, what is he asking us to do? There's a couple imperatives. The first one is verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. <coughs> or say it this way, there is a, it is being a living sacrifice when we determine not to be conformed to this world. When we work against that. I think I put in your outline... As verse 1 talks about our relationship to God, verse 2 is primarily our relationship to this world. Don't be conformed. Uh, in other words, do not be conformed. The word conform means to, uh, refers to an outward expression that does not reflect what is inward. Now that's real important. Don't let the outward be something different than what the inward already is. Now, why is that such an important concept? Because he's talking to Christians, and as Christians, your soul has already been saved. So he's saying, listen, 
God has already saved the immaterial part of you, but now don't be conformed externally and look different than what that internal should look like. See, the internal should drive the external, and the internal being alive to God, our external should be alive to God. The way we act, the things we put into our mind, the way we talk, don't be conformed to this world. The other part of this conformed not only has to do with being consistent with your inward to outward, but also has an idea of temporary. That word conformed itself has an idea of temporary, not permanent. And again, it's in the prohibitive. Do not. Don't do this. Don't let the world conform you. By the way, it's also, there's a few things here. It's negative, but it's also passive. The idea is, Indicating the the conforming is something we allow to be done to us. Don't let the world, J.B. Phillips said in his translation, um, very, very famous quote of J.B. Phillips, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. That's passive. In other words, you're just kind of passive going around in life stumbling through life as a Christian and and the world is influences and ideas and values and motivations are just squeezing you into its mold. So again, that verb is passive. That's very important. It's not that you're going out wanting to be conformed to this world. It's just that you're like putty in the world's hands. How many of you like, used to like to play with Play-Doh? How many want to play with it right now? How many of you envious? Uh, you know, when you think of putty, what do you... The opposite of putty would be like steel. When you think of putty, it is temporary. That's what that word points towards. You can easily mold it. That's why we give it to children's, children to play with. You know, and then you find it on the carpet and ground in. And, but it's fun, and after they're all done, what do you do? Well, not like steel that is permanent. You just, you know, do it up and, and play with it again. And, and, and that's what he's getting at, that don't let the world mold you into its mold, conform you into its mold, push you and press you into, with its values and, and its motivations and its concerns and its ideals. Don't, don't be a piece of silly putty in, its, in, it, in the world's mind and the world's... Um, as far as walking in the world. By the way, this word con, uh, conformed is also in the imperative. Don't do it. He's, it's, it's, a, uh, it's not a suggestion. I like how one commentator said, it's a gentle command. The difference between my wife and I is that most everything I do is severe, it seems like, at times. At home, I mean, when I try to encourage the kids. I always seem to, you know, she just, you know, just, but you can be gentle and still get your point across. Now, if they don't get it the first time, then you up the ante. But, um, but a gentle command, but it is a command. Let's be, let's be clear on this. This is a command. It's a command, again, that if you don't proactively Understand that the world is trying to conform you that you will be. Okay? You will be. It's in the present tense as well. That's the fourth aspect. It's a negative. It's passive. The world is trying to pressure you. 
It's a command, but it's also in the present tense, which means it's continuous. You've got to continually fight against this. That's the point. The onslaught of the world is continuous. You have to continually fight against that. By the way, in our day and age, it is very difficult. Think about all the areas, that the, all the avenues the world has to get to you. Everything from morning news to the movie to Facebook to YouTube to uh, Twitter to the music, radio stations. I mean, it's just unbelievable. What was that other one I was thinking about? Twitter. Oh, what's that? LinkedIn or something like that? I guess that's a business one. But the point is, is think about all the ways the world's tentacles can get into your life. No, I'm not going to advocate getting rid of all media and just live as a hermit, you know, up in some hill without anything. But I am saying this, understand the tentacles of this world are very pervasive. And if you don't understand that it is seeking to mold you, then you'll be molded and not even realize it. See, we don't want to be passive. We don't want to have a victim mentality that we just soak it in like a sponge and say, well, if the Lord didn't really want me, then it wouldn't be there in my life. I like how Chip Ingram put it in his book, R12. He says, quote, this is the verse, Romans 12, him paraphrasing, him writing his own translation, as it were. Stop allowing yourselves to be molded by the influences and the pressures of this present world we live in. Stop allowing Satan to dupe you, to con you, use you, and trick you. Promise you life and love and power through a seductive world system that will only deliver, as Chip says, disappointment, defeat, depression, and make you a slave to sin. See, it will mold you, but remember, the consequences are huge. They're not only temporary, which he just mentioned, but they're eternal. They are eternal consequences because your rewards are based on your faithfulness to Christ. I'm not talking your salvation, but your reward. The world wants to mold you. Let me give you a few ways it does. These are just big concepts. Again, you don't see these concepts in Scripture, but if you get these four just big words, you can start saying, okay, this is how it does it. The first one is secularism. You could say that this is like the umbrella term. The secularism is basically the cosmos is all that there is. In other words, it's just everything that is that matters is just here on this earth. It's nothing beyond this earth. R.C. Sproul said, for secularism, all life, every human value, every human activity must be understood in light of this present time. He goes on and says this, what matters is now and only now. That's secularism. Only now. Secularism is seen in Christianity among Christians when Christians, when we focus on the now. That's, when, that's how secularism stains us. It's the now. It's just about the now. Philippians 3, Paul talks about those, chapter 3, verse 18, talks about those who set their minds, their, their, their thinking on earthly things. That's secularism right there. Philippians 3.18. 
we looked at a, a few weeks ago, 2 Corinthians 4, 18, where it says, while we look not at the things which are seen, and that word look is scopio, we get our word scope from it, but the idea is that we focus in both as like a microscope and as a telescope, both close and far, but we're looking at the things that are seen. But he says, listen, well, excuse me, well, we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. See, we should be focusing in both carefully and in long-term telescope on the things that are not seen, but it's so easy to focus in on the things that are seen. Paul goes on in Corinthians, he says, the things that are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So you can ask yourself, are these prevalent sins, which, by the way, are produced from a secular mind in your life. I mean, and again, we mention them often, but they are, they're a symptom of our focus. Again, greed and covetousness and worry and fear and lust and just self. Just in, in, in looking and hoping to get uh, pleasure or hoping to get reassurance or comfort from the things that are in this world. I've had to really back off of the political scene. I've told you that in the last few months. I've just tried to back. I mean, it's not that I'm ignorant. I could tell you the four candidates and some of their issues. But to be honest with you, I've, I've backed off a huge part in, in the volume and the intensity of my care and concern for the Republican, Democrat, Independent, all this come November, whatever date we're supposed to vote. Why? Because that's the scene. Now, I have some concern and I do pray. But let's pray and then be about the, the Father's business, right? Secularism says it's all about today. Also, by the way, a lack of giving could be a very secularist, why, you know, because it's about now. A lack of service, because it's about now. Again, secularism is that umbrella term for these other three. The next one is humanism. It's not only about now... But it's about now living apart from God. <laughs> okay, So it's about now, but I'm not living for God. Humanism says that everything revolves around man and exists for his glory and pre- uh, pleasure. You want a great illustration? Go to Daniel chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar is a great illustra- illustration of a humanist. <laughs> Verse uh, 30. Again, this is Nebuchadnezzar after he's been told a vision and what was going to happen. But this is what he's walking in his garden and he spoke and he says, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? That's a great humanist right there. By the way, notice the different things. I have built of him. Of him, that's what he's getting at there. I build it of him, a royal dwelling by my mighty power, by him, came up with a thought, accomplished by him, and for the honor of him, for him, of him, by him, for him. In other words, I can do it all. I am self sufficient. That's humanism. I am self sufficient. I don't need God. In fact, one very, I think, profound. Uh, thinker said this, that humanism always leads to deification of self. And it also is an utter disregard for other people. It's all about me. Their favorite song, me, 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 me. 
So you get you forget about people. You become more and more selfish. So along with humanism comes individualism, autonomy. In other words, you know, I answer to no one but myself. <laughs> There's no higher authority out there than me. It doesn't matter what the government says, and it certainly doesn't matter what the Bible says. It's all about me, autonomy. And then that usually leads to victimism. They're a victim. Everyone's, and if you look at our country, we're right there, right? I mean, it's all about me. It's all about my ways. If there's a problem, I blame shift to someone else. No personal responsibilities. But, you know, that creeps into the church. They don't use their spiritual gifts for others because I'm too busy. Me, 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 me. They don't pray. Prayerlessness. Why? Because, well, they wouldn't say this because it sounds so unspiritual, but really I can do it on my own. But then again, many of you have served already today. Have you really asked God to serve? Some of you are going to be serving tonight. Before you get to Word of Life, Epic, Olympian, teach, worship, Lord, are you crying out to him? Lord, I can't do it without you. Without you, I can do nothing, because that's what John 15 says. See, a, a humanistic type Christian, I'm not saying they're unsaved, I'm saying humanistic ideas that are secular and humanistic would be prayerless. They wouldn't submit to the Word of God or they don't submit to the Spirit of God, because quite honestly, they don't absolutely believe that they need the Spirit of God to accomplish ministry. It, it follows us quite often. I mean, again, Satan fell because it was all about, I will. The human heart is very proud. I will. I mean, this is not just because we live in America. This is the human heart. This is the sinful flesh. One of the major symptoms is also that when it comes to humanism, feeling-driven. Feelings versus what God says. You know, if it feels right... Why are you getting a divorce? Well, I don't love him anymore, feeling. Why didn't you finish your homework? You know, you ask the kid, or your work, or your tag. Why didn't feel like it? Why are you taking drugs? Why do you drink? Why do you crowse? Well, it feels good. Why did you have that affair anyways? Well, it made me feel, feel loved. Yeah, feelings are the one, the thing that guides the person. See, Don't be conformed to this world. One of the characteristics of this world is driven by feelings. It's all about me. It's not really about God. It's all about the now. And we just get almost like punched like uh, the Pilbury Doughboy. Is he still around, by the way? (laughs) Are there any actual commercials about him? I guess he died. I guess he got baked. Um, see, my feelings, my desires are, I've got to learn by the Word of God. And by the way, the obvious is next week when we talk about be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the opposite of being conformed, being transformed. But being transformed means, no, it's, it's not about me. It's not about my feelings. It is about God. It's not about who I am. It's about who God is and His people. And see, you keep working against and fighting against all the onslaught that everybody says and the world says. By the way, the world is the world's ideas. It's not that you hate the world, people. It's the ideas, the ideologies that are out there. 
So again, humanism is seen in Christianity by our prayerlessness and lack of dependence on God's word and God's spirit. By the way, another symptom of our society being about me is this. Give me what I want and charge it to my kids. Right? National debt is all about this. And again, I'm not here to preach a political message, but that's what the national debt's all about. Give it to me now, secular humanist, and charge it to my kids. A third major concept that you could find as far as the world's thinking is materialism. For time, we'll be very quick here, but materialism is that nothing exists outside of what is material. By the way, these roots are found again in secularism and humanism. It's all about today. But it's all about today and the things I can get for today. In other words, there's, there's not a spiritual world that's all about the pleasures of today. Eat, drink, and be merry. Money, fame, and pleasure. However you want to say that. It's all about what I can get today, what I can touch, what I can see. That's what's most important. Again, it's, it, we see materialism in our desires and our lusts and our focus on, again, the things that we can grab a hold of. Very hard for uh, a Christian who is like this to be willing to wait. They don't want to wait for blessing. They will grab the nearest thing. So again, they get themselves into all kinds of problems. It's, it's living for today. No delay in gratification. <laughs> and then finally, relativism. We get to this point as a Christian or as a nation or as a people is because of relativism. Relativism says there's no absolutes. I determine what is right. And it's really seen by how we look at the Word of God. Is it our guiding is it our guiding force, as it were? I mean, is, it, is this what we're living according to? Or is it, again, just feeling? Because, again, uh, relativism says there is no absolute. Why would I need that? Again, do we approach the Word of God as revelation from God himself, inspired and authoritative and sufficient? And you can say, Amen, brother. And my question is, have you gotten into it this last week? Because if you haven't, you're just saying words. Second Timothy says, All Scripture is inspired by God, which is God-breathed, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. I love how um, the Thessalonians, Paul refers back to them, and he says, Listen, when we gave you the Word of God, he says, You received the Word of God which you heard from us. You received it. Isn't that great? You received it. In other words, you took it. You, you took it, you studied it, you, you uh, and lived according to it. You received it. Whereas, remember, Jesus was talking to the disciples after, after he uh, was resurrected. And it says, were not our eyes opened and our hearts burned within us as he explained the Scriptures? Luke 24. So again, relativism. By the way, a close relative relative to relativism is pragmatism. Pragmatism says this, if it works, it must be right. Now think about that in light of persecution. (laughs) Think of that even in the concept of living sacrifice. We get pragmatic. Well, if 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 you're really walking with God, if if it really is right, then it's going to work. 
You're going to have a bigger budget. You're going to have a bigger group. You're going to have a bigger whatever, bigger. It's going to work. If it causes pain and suffering, it must not be right because why would God ever put you through that? See, we get pragmatic. I see pragmatism in my own life at times. I see it actually in the church periodically. You've got to work against that because the world says if it doesn't work, what do you mean doesn't work? Well, again, China went through this. Uh, and the China church, instead of becoming just a force for God, they became uh, legalized. What is it? The 3T church or whatever they call it. But the point is, is that, well, to make Christianity work, I, we have to submit to the government. And they became conformed. Now, there's millions of Christians who did not do the, the government church. But that's pragmatism working out. We have to submit to the government and let them dictate our standards. Well, let's go over to First Timothy or First John chapter two. First John chapter two, because we see what we should do when it comes to the world. First John two: Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. By the way, that world is a different world. The, the world in the, the word world in uh, Romans twelve two is aeon, ion, age, influences. This is cosmos. They're a little bit different concept, but the same big concept. The idea is this: don't love the world. Now I want you to catch what he's saying three times here, and it's not the word world. <laughs> he does say the word world three times, but there's another word: do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What's the word? And it's not world that I'm referring to. Love. Love. This is the focus here. Love. Don't love the things of this world. Love brings in the idea of relationship. Commitment. Don't focus on the things of this world. It's against God. Well, notice... Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we'll have to go in that in a little more detail. But these are the passions of the world. The passion of the flesh, the passion of the eyes want more. The passion and pride of life that I'm... Actually, the things I just gave you, humanism, secularism, is found in here. Work against that. They're found in the world. That's the... That's where they're found in all the different media that we just talked about. As one man said, we must break out of the patterns of thinking produced by our age and let the Word of God mold your thinking, mold your values, mold your directions. It's so sad, interesting but sad, that the characteristics of the average Christian is just like the world. In his book, R12, I... I'll quote it one more time. He cites a study by a book, and the book's name is Unchristian. And this is what the people did, I mean, as far as they polled both believers that were under 41 and believers that were over 41, people that said they were believers in Jesus Christ. But this is what they came up with, the statistics. This is how people thought. 59% of people under 41. 59% thought that living together was okay. I'm talking Christians, who at least said they were Christians. Only 33% over 42. 
As far as sex outside of marriage, 44% it was thought it was okay, the younger crowd. 23, the older crowd. Having an abortion, only about a third on both sides. A third of them thought it was okay. They named Christ that it was okay to have an abortion. As far as homosexual behavior, 28% younger crowd said, yeah, that's okay. 13% of the older crowd, but still 13%. See, we've been conformed <laughs> to this world. We name the name of Christ. We say we are a believer. And yet, it's, well, what does he say? The love of the Father is not in him. Most likely, a lot of those that maybe weren't even believers. But the point is, I mean, just because you say you're a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. But think about how that, you know, what are areas in your own life that you're not a living sacrifice for Christ? That you're being conformed to this world you don't even realize. I think of being conformed to this world kind of like weight gain. What do you mean? Well, there was a time, thankfully I'm about halfway down now, but the point was is from where I came to this church, the weight I was at, I gained about 50 pounds. What was funny to me was it came so slow, I didn't recognize it. Although I started feeling really winded when I'd even walk up some stairs. You know, and I kept looking on the scale. And, but the point is, it, it didn't hit me right away. It wasn't like cataclysmic or a crisis. It just kind of, you know, it's, by the way, it's, it's, it's fun. <laughs> it's fun to eat, right? So, but the point, it was very slow. Finally, I decided, well, this has got to stop. And I've gone down some. I haven't, I'm not where, I'll never probably be where I was, you know, when I was 23 years old. But the point is, the point is, is this, that just like with weight, you have to come to a realization, wait, I've got to change because I start seeing the symptoms that start showing me that I'm heading in the wrong direction with weight. The same as with being conformed to this world. Many times we are conformed, we don't even realize it, and our change in values and thinking, and we didn't even really see it coming. James says this, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship, filia, with the world is enmity with God? He says at the end of that passage, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealousy. And the idea is this, yearns for you to be committed to Christ and Christ alone in his values. In other words, the spirit, just like a husband who sees his wife moving in the direction of another man gets jealous, and he should. The spirit of God gets jealous when we, our hearts are not with Christ's values and motivations. So, question, are you a living sacrifice? Are you a living sacrifice? <laughs> I want to challenge you with something today both a positive and a negative. It says, don't passively be conformed, pushed into the mold of being what the world wants us to be. By the way, the world is, will be very happy with you being religious. Don't get too fanatical, though. Don't get too radical. Would you be willing... Because, again, just like a diet... Weight creeps up on you with values and being conformed creeps up on you. Sometimes you have to be radical to say, oh, boy, I, I guess I was getting ideas and values I didn't realize. I think one of the ways is to go back to David in Psalms 103 and he says, I'll set no wicked thing before my eyes. 
Would you be willing to be a living sacrifice in the way that you deal with media, just for one week? What do you mean, Pastor? Would you be willing to shut off, and I'm going to be careful how I say this, all media entertainment. Because some of you, I know, I brought this up to one of my sons, and he said, I'm going to fail. I've got to be on the computer. No, I'm not talking about the computer. I'm talking about entertainment on the computer, entertainment on YouTube, entertainment on uh, uh, Facebook, entertainment on the Internet, entertainment on Netflix. I'm talking about entertainment. Would you be willing to shut it off for 168 hours? By the way, I'm not asking you to die for Christ this week, though some of you may feel like that. I'm asking you to be radical in one area and to instead of spending the time there, be willing to get into the Word of God, maybe Romans 12. In fact, I'd encourage Romans 12. Spend some time that you would have normally just wasted over there and, Lord, give me insight. Show me if I'm being conformed and I didn't even realize it. Now, so that the older kids don't hate me. No. I would say this. Give them the option. I'm going to do it. I'm going to give the option to my... I'm not going to just say, thus say it to the Lord. Because this is... If you do it, I'm not saying you're more spiritual. You're spiritual because of who God is, right? And in your life. But it might be a wake-up call to say, you know, I've been conformed. And I didn't even realize it. I was starting to think the way the world was thinking, and I didn't even realize it. Sometimes it takes... I know the times I've shut it off in my life, it's like the Lord really blesses me with insights. Insights into myself and insights into His Word. Would you be willing to shut it off for a week? Say, I'm not going to turn it back on until after church on Sunday next week so that I'm not conformed. And I'm going to put into my life some more time for His Word because I'll have the time because I'm not wasting it, doing something else, right? I remember my kids used to come to me when they were younger and they wanted to watch TV. And I don't know why they started saying it, but they would say something to the effect of, Daddy, Daddy, can, can I go and waste some time in front of the TV or something like that? Waste my life. That's what they would say. Can I go waste my life? And they meant, can I watch TV? That's a real hard decision for a parent. I mean, what do I do with that one? Let's go before the Lord. Again, he wants you to be a living sacrifice. Really, what I've just said is a very, very small sacrifice, isn't it? Some of you will say yes, some of you will say no, but this is a very small sacrifice. But again, go before God and ask him. If the ushers could come forward...
Father, we talked about how it is reasonable to be a living sacrifice. I'm sure we would all get a hearty amen to that. And yet you do call us to sacrifice as we walk in this life. Lord, it's easy, we know, to be conformed to this world. We just have to be passive. And Lord, I ask that you would give us wisdom as we live in this world. That we're in it, but not of it. Father, I pray that you would protect our thinking, but part of that is us being active in the transformation process of renewing our minds. Convict us in areas that we need to be convicted in and help us to put our hand to the plow so that we walk with you. And now, Lord, we ask that you would bring to mind anything else that we need to confess before you so that as we approach your table, as we celebrate your death and resurrection and your soon coming, that we would partake in a manner that's worthy of you. I ask that you would guide us in these things so that we might bring honor and glory and give our very best to the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.